0: This morning, I want to speak about a prob- the problem of unanswered prayer. And I know that I'm not alone in way I wonder about these things. So I want us to start by turning to Joshua chapter 7. We're in the Old Testament today. Joshua chapter 7. And we're going to read through all of chapter 7 and the first verse of chapter 8. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth, Beth Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about three thousand went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they'll surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you any more unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe, The tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward, and the Zerahites were chosen. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families. Zimri was chosen. Joshua and his family came forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was chosen. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, Give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you've done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It's true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was hidden. There it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua, and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys, and sheep, his tent, and all that he had, to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan they heaped a large pile of rocks which remain to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. And in chapter 8 verse 1, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city and his land. Let's come to the Lord in prayer for a moment. Lord, as we hear this awful story, and uh, it seems so out of touch with all the things that we think of today as what you teach in the Bible, love and forgiveness and this and it's very hard for us lord and as we come to this subject that you've put into my heart i just pray that you will speak to us lord we need your holy spirit here to speak in our hearts and guide us and where necessary give us peace and where necessary convict and teach us about the things that we should know so that We do not sin like Achan did. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The problem of unanswered prayer. That's what we're thinking of today. And um, this has been one of the hardest sermons to prepare, I think I can ever remember. And right in the middle of it, I got an attack from Satan. And... I was really staggering and I asked several people to pray and I know they did because I was worried about it because it was as if Satan was really saying, ha-ha, is that what you believe? Now let me see. And it was pretty difficult. We had a place where we'd been praying for somebody, for one of our family, and everything went wrong that could go wrong. And uh, far from helping, it seemed to make it harder. And we cried before the Lord, Sim and I. And then one of my grandchildren got um, found herself in a terrible tight spot last week. And uh, on top of everything else, just as, as we, we prayed, we spoke to her on the phone. And a few minutes later, she was attacked by somebody with a knife. And uh, had a very traumatic time. And that's still not over with. But, you know, we'd been praying that the Lord would give her a good night. And it was the opposite. Has God stopped listening? Do you ever ask yourself that? And that's what I'm talking about today, because this is a tough subject, isn't it? Because so often, it's very nice to say, God will do this, God will do that. And when it doesn't happen in reality, where are we? Many times, over a long life in the church and in medicine, I've come across the despair that comes with chronic illness and distressing situations. We've prayed, we've followed all the right protocols, and we've read James 5.14. Let's read that verse. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. I might say we've trusted we've believed and yet many times nothing appeared to have happened and if you've been at the receiving end of it that does happen too and it's sort of frightening and it's shaking and yet at another time we have prayed for the healing of a sick child or a friend and a prayer has been answered almost immediately my mind goes back to Ethiopian days when I was in Addis just before we had to leave Ethiopia, and one of our missionaries who was at Lake Langano, a very isolated station, suddenly fell ill with something that, that made her semi conscious. And uh, she was really sick, and they managed to get her across to our hospital in Sodu, in Waleta. Uh, and uh, the doctor there, um, who happens to be named Bob, too, Dr. Bob, he tried to do everything he could to get her through this. And uh, in the end, he phoned us up in Addis Ababa and he says, I don't know what to do. There's nothing else I can do for for, uh, Betty. And she's going to die if if, uh, nothing happens. And he said, please, all of you, pray. And so we missionaries dropped what we were doing and we went and we spent the entire day in prayer halfway through the afternoon, we got a call from Bob. I don't know. He said, I can't give any other answer. The miracle has happened. Betty is okay, and there's no brain damage. What do you think of that? That was an answer to prayer. It does happen. Nobody uh, pushed her on the ground. Nobody did anything special. Just people praying, believing that God would answer, and he did. So That does work. At least one commentator, I was wondering, you know, why they have that passage when it doesn't always work. And at least one commentator said that when this passage was written, the apostles had the gift of healing. But by the third century AD, the gift seems to have disappeared. Well, certainly medicine has improved no end, especially in our time. But I don't find that answer satisfying. I've seen numerous cases of answers to prayer. Also, sometimes I've been glad that my prayer has not been answered. Otherwise, there'd be a few dead people around, probably. <laughs> but, uh, and other times, I've seen that it was answered. And a fair bit later, when I thought nothing had happened, too. And because of that delay, the answer is often far better than I could have hoped for. And so, you know, what's going on? this is reality. I'm not talking about pie in the sky by and by. All you adults know what I'm talking about because you've all been through this, haven't you, at some point? And it keeps happening. I think I I mentioned before that when my dad died, and I found out six weeks later in Ethiopia, I was in southern Ethiopia at the time at Solu, and I fell on my knees And I berated God, asking him why he hadn't answered my my prayer for dad's salvation. Then I heard an audible voice, which I cannot explain, that said, I always answer your prayers. Now, I can't explain that, but it isn't, isn't surprising that if I repeat myself, because it's something that I'll never forget. When you hear a voice that's audible, it stays in your mind for the rest of your life. And God spoke to me that day and suddenly my eyes were kind of opened and I understood that Dad had been saved and I came out to Sim to tell her and she can tell you how I came out, I went in in tears and came out smiling, would you believe? Because I'd heard this from God himself. And uh, I'm looking forward to the day when I see Dad again in heaven. And looking at past letters, we saw he changed in his vocabulary Though he had no knowledge of evangelical language, obviously, he never met those sort of people. You know, we pray for our family every day, but sometimes we seem to make things worse. You find that, and you ask yourself, why? Why God? And this is what I want us to think about today. There are many Bible verses in the New Testament that command us to pray for all kinds of things. And the Lord Jesus Christ not only practiced prayer, but taught his disciples and he commanded them to pray. So it's obvious that it is a necessity for us as believers. The first thing we see is that prayer requires much more than a shopping list of things we want God to do for us. It's easy to come to God with that, but it's more than that. Prayer is complex, and there's a lot of attitude involved in it. And the second thing I want you to think about is that prayer is not a right, but a privilege given to us when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord together with the indwelling Holy Spirit. We often think about the fact that when we ask Jesus into our hearts and we believe and he changes us, but at the same time, he gives us the, with the Holy Spirit, he gives us the privilege of prayer. And that's something that's hard to believe and hard to understand. And yet that's true because the most effective prayer is of a righteous man, isn't it? The scripture tells us that. Let's look at John 14, 13. And it's interesting that the following readings are all from John, three three verses from John. Let's look at them. John 14:13, "And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son." Then we turn to John 15:16. Jesus says, "You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you." And again, in John 16:23, he says, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. When you get repetition in scripture, what does it mean? It means it's important. It does mean it's important. In my name is more than important, as we're going to see. Access to God in prayer is not through a plaster saint, and it's not through Mary, the Jesus' mother, but only because of our own relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's the thing that we've got to take home with us. In Romans 8, 26, we're told, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Now, isn't that nice? The number of times when you... You think how can i pray i just don't know how i don't know what to pray don't worry just be remember your relationship with jesus and let him do the praying and he'll take home from his heart and from your heart what is necessary let me illustrate what why relationship is so important Um, a few nights ago um, what was the... I was trying to think what it was about. Oh, yes, our daughter Lauren had been up to Townsville and uh, they came back and they arrived back in Melbourne Airport at, what was it, 11.30, I think, at night and they still had to come home to Kerrang uh, to uh, Kahuna. And, um, you know, we, we thought, oh, you know, we prayed for them before we went to bed. And then later in the night, uh, as I am wont to, I had a little problem and I had to get up and uh, sat there with a cup of tea. In comes Sim, and she joins me with a cup of tea as well because she was hurting her arthritis. And we sat there and just sat quietly sipping our tea. Sim suddenly turned to me and she said, David, I bet I know what you're praying. And I said, and I bet I know what you're praying. And yes, we'd both woken up and we were both praying our daughter and, the, uh, and her husband as they came back from Townsville and come up from Melbourne knowing how dangerous it was and she had a great trip she told us but all the time we were praying <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is Sim and I frequently think along the same lines why because we know each other through and through we've been together now for 57 years plus when we were engaged so that's a long time and you know, this is what in my name implies. As we grow in Christ and know him, so we better understand him and pray in accordance with his will. And we also have to understand that his answer to prayer may be no or later, but we come to him because we know what he's wanting us to pray for. And that's the important thing about prayer, understanding in his name and But without doubt, we can be assured he does hear and answer our prayers. That's for sure that he knows, because we know him. Now, Joshua's experience gives us some understanding of how God sees situations. So before we go into that text, let's get some context. Many scholars see the conquering of Canaan not as a picture of battling to enter heaven, as some do, but rather it's a picture of overcoming the sinful world. It's the Christian life overcoming after salvation. And there are many battles and some of which will be lost. But be sure progress is made to certain victory if we persevere. I've told you these things, says John in John sixteen I've told you these things so that in me you have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so we can know that whatever's happening, God knows what's going on and he's hearing us and we know what he's thinking. And that's part of our Christian life. He's going to make us overcome the world. Now in chapter 5 and 6 of Joshua, we have an account of Israel's successful victory with the fall of Jericho. You all know the story. The first city in Canaan after crossing the River Jordan. But there's a few things I'd like you to notice. Bef- that before they crossed over, they re-consecrated themselves to the covenant with circumcision and with celebrating the Passover, the reminder of God's love for them. And then look at Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 to 15, where where the, a stranger appears. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up, And saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. What's the lesson we're getting from this? The lesson is simply, is that the battle for the world is the Lord's. Isn't that right? the battle is for the Lord. It's his battle. It's not Joshua's. And in this life, it's not ours. It's still his battle. It hasn't changed. The battle to overcome the world. And Jesus says he has already overcome the world. So ultimately, success was and is inevitable. That's heartening, isn't it? And so in the aftermath of this, we come to Joshua 7. And uh, I promised you last time that I'd keep my sermons down to 20 minutes. That was a new year. And last time I didn't do it because, after all, new year was the day after. Well, I want you to know that I lied. (laughs) But we are going to... As quickly as, as we can. These are very short points. The first thing I want you to see is jo- Joshua misread the situation. First thing we notice is that Joshua didn't inquire of God. He didn't check with the commander of the Lord's army, who was probably a Christophany, that means uh Christ before his incarnation. There's several places where that seems to happen. He can't explain it, and I'm not going to try to. In other words, he didn't even pray before looking at Ai. He had no idea of Achan's sin, but he did see the consequences. Sin is rebellion against God and is probably the greatest reason for damaging our relationship with God. We used to have a saying, if God seems far away, who do you think moved? Certainly isn't God, is it? Again, instead of asking the Lord what was wrong, he and the elders of Israel sort of went into a decline, didn't they? And notice that the scripture says that Israel, not just Achan, was responsible and suffered God's anger. The whole lot were, in, were affected by it. Sin affects everyone. And surely there is a lesson for us today as a church. That if there's sin It does affect us. If we allow sin to remain in the church and take no action, then we're all guilty. You know, There's times when this church leadership have had to take actions and some people have said, oh, that was wrong. Or you shouldn't do that. We've got to be loving. We've got to do this, that, and the other. Very easy to say that. But the leaders of the church have to remember that if there is sin in the church, there is no way the church is unaffected. We've got to deal with it there and then. And if it's not dealt with, we will be punished by the Lord Himself. We're bound to be. And we're not going to see blessing. So we have to bear that in mind. This is why we must spend time in prayer. Or how can we know what is causing us to depart from God? Not praying for things, you know, not these. No, I'm not talking about the normal prayer meeting where you're praying for individuals and that. That's got to go. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But asking to be more and more aware of the amazing grace that allows us to come into his presence at all. That's a privilege given at the cost of his son dying for us on the cross, isn't it? That's the main thing. So we need to be taking time sometimes just to contemplate God and what he's done for us. We just did it in communion. But we should be doing this more regularly in our quiet times. Just sit there and think of what God has done for you. Just read some of David's Psalms, especially Psalm 51, after he had the Bathsheba incident, and see how he came to God and he was able to say, "A, a contrite heart thou wilt not despise, O God. Because he saw what he was doing. He had time to think about what he'd done to God. And he restored his relationship. Because God is waiting there, ready to restore relationship. And in 1 Chronicles 29.14, we have David's prayer. And I loved this. I, mean, I was reading it in my quiet time. David's prayer begins, who am I? And who are my people that we should be able and whatever it was? That should be our attitude. We're there as a privilege again. Who am I? Who am I that that we should be able? And that should be what we think. Remember who you are addressing when you're praying. You're not addressing a mere man. You're addressing the creator of the universe. You're addressing the person who was willing to give his son for our salvation even though it was so costly. to For three days to be separated from his beloved son. Do you know what that cost? Second thing we see in this passage is when God doesn't seem to answer, it doesn't mean he's rejected us. That's a very important point. It does not mean he's rejected us. Just recently, uh, my son James and Shelly, used to be here, moved to another area of the USA to be near his company's new offices and to get out of the cold of New York State too, I might say, and he's wrong. It's still just as cold down there in North Carolina, but uh, that's beside the point. Now, his company had been sacking a lot of employees and James was fearful that he might lose his job. When they heard he was moving with them, they even gave a generous payment towards his expenses. And we were delighted and so was he. Because it's quite expensive to move interstate like that. And despite his trepidation, it does seem reasonable that if they've invested in him, they they would not now reject him. Wouldn't you reckon? If you spent $5,000 on somebody out of the blue, you're not going to just toss them out the next day. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things they've invested in him. And this is the point. Jesus has invested everything. He's invested everything into us. As Paul asks in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Why would he hold anything back? When he's given us the best, it's like our own children. If our children need something, we give it to them. Don't always give it quickly. We might have to control it some way, but we always think in terms like that. And that's how God looks at us. He's given the best. What else is there? Nothing else is going to be as big as his son. And so why would he hold anything back from us? Joshua forgetting his relationship with God, gives into to despair. And he almost commits his own sin by blaming God for bringing them this far, only to desert them, and even regretting that they'd crossed the Jordan. Oh, that was a shake-up, wasn't it? Because it seems to be every time they send out spies, they run into trouble like that. And he's beginning to wonder, you know, should he have gone? Why Why did he do it? Why did they go and battle it in, in A.I.? having crossed Jordan. If they'd stayed on the other side, they wouldn't have had this trouble. Is this our attitude when God doesn't seem to answer prayer? Our problems usually mean our faith is being tested, not rejected. That's what we've got to realize. It doesn't mean rejection. Remember, Abraham was told that through Isaac, all the nations would be blessed. And then later on, he's told to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Now Abraham's relationship with God was so strong that he knew he could trust him. And the writer of Hebrews puts it so nicely in Hebrews eleven nineteen. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Is it surprising that God called Abraham his friend? And asked later on, should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Why would he hide it? See, the relationship, and this is the take-home message today, it's the relationship with, with the Lord that is important, more important than anything we say or do. It's maintaining that relationship. And we, too, can trust that whatever we pray for will be answered in time, and we can be sure it will be for good we're not just friends with God we are not just friends with God we're adopted into his family we're his children that's much bigger much better and those promises we read earlier still stand and we must pray in his name because that's what it means it's about relationship God's rebuke to Joshua was so simple basically Put in a few words is get up and stop this nonsense. Why are you stand? Why are you Why are you lying flat on your face and covered in all that stuff? Israel has sinned, and this has made made them prone to destruction. Now put it right. That's a good way of shortening scripture, but that's what it really said to them. And thirdly, even if there appears to be no answer to prayer, except by faith that it has been heard. That prayer has been heard. When Israel had put right the sin that caused defeat, God did not rebuke them any more, but rather he encouraged them. In verse eight, uh, chapter 8 and verse 1 he says, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And if you're wondering why your prayer has not been answered, don't give up. It's a reason for more prayer that God will reveal to you what his answer is. You know, as missionaries, with lots of restrictions placed on us, we used to keep going anyway. We'd been praying, but we kept going. The key was, go on until you're stopped. That's what we have to do. The second thing is you've committed yourself to God. And that is so important. Commitment means faith. We live in an age where people hate commitment, don't they? That's why you get so many divorces that's why people live in de facto relationships and so on it's because of a lack of commitment but god wants commitment from us we have to commit ourselves fully and utterly when you come to christ that's the aim is to full commitment it comes slowly because as we get to know him better the more we want to commit and even if the issue is concerning healing remember that even the best men at medicine only postpones death it doesn't actually heal you know we go through all this medicine we go through all the stuff we think it's wonderful I, I look at our doctors here and I know they know what I mean actually you're just postponing things because death is inevitable in this world until Christ comes again that's going to be so it isn't healing of the body is not the most important thing remember at times God does allow suffering and even death as part of his plan for this world. You know, in the early church, as is today in some countries like North Korea, to believe is to accept persecution and death as inevitable. They didn't expect to live after they'd accepted Christ. And uh, that's what happens. But Jesus told Peter how he would die Remember how the risen Christ has told him how he was going to be taken where he wouldn't want to go. And when he asked about John, he was told bluntly by Jesus, that's not your business. That was not his business. What did he say to him? You, you, not John or anyone else. This is about you. You must follow me, he says in John 21, 22. We are destined For eternal life and perfection in Christ. Surely that's better, much better than anything else. So all I can say to finish is, now trust him. Now trust him. And I love that verse in Philippians 3.10, which sums up really what we've been talking about this morning. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him. Let's pray. Loving Father, this is a subject that hurts, and for some it will be more hurtful than anything else, and yet we know it's the truth. Lord, help us to keep our relationship so solid with you that it is a delight to be in your presence, to think of you day and night, just as the Jews had to put on their phylacteries and all that stuff. You are better. You're in our hearts. Your Holy Spirit lives within us. You know our every need. And you even groan with words that can't be uttered. And we just thank you for this, for the privilege. And help us to be faithful and to trust you in every way. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.